0: Enjoy the episode. Coach, it's awesome today to have Coach Jay Hernandez with us. Coach Jay is currently an assistant coach with the Charlotte Hornets, where he's been for the past two years and previously was with the Orlando Magic for four years. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Well, you're a great follow on social media. you have a background in terms of player development and running your own business, and certainly I have experience as an NBA coach too. so it's natural for us, coach, to be able to talk a little player development and I just quickly, even before we get there, I wanted to share a story from a mutual friend, Dave Love, who told me a story about you in your early years in Orlando, where you did not do scouting reports, you weren't assigned scattering reports, but you did them anyways and then the next year that was one of your responsibilities. Can you talk about why you did that?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I came into the league with uh, no experience in coaching. So uh, I skipped all levels. I was doing strictly player development with, within my own program in New York. And I uh, was doing that full time for 10 plus years. And when I got to the NBA, I got I got involved with a staff that had already, already been there two years. And Jock Vaughn and his staff had already been together for two years. So I came into it in a situation where the terminology was different, they already had certain schemes in place. So uh, the, the vocabulary was all new to me and I was just trying to learn. Uh, my, my biggest thing was trying to figure out how do I continue to grow and develop because I was so used to doing 10 to 12 hours straight a day for a period of months working players out. So now you're telling me I have Ben Gordon and Tobias Harris, just two players, then what else is there to do the rest of the day? So uh, I knew that, you know, my progression over the course of time was to keep developing and and I used it as almost like a paid internship. I I knew what I could do on court. And uh, fortunately for me, you know, I, I was doing that early on so that when James Borrego came in as the interim head coach with only 30 games left, I was able to do a scouting report, be able to put everything that I need to do, whether it's film or on paper, do that already. And obviously it took a little bit more work. I was I was nervous doing it for the first time. I had, you know, management in the back watching players, you know, seeing how we were going to do. And, you know, it gave me a leg up by being already prepared to to take that next step. And I think it's very important for coaches as a whole to get uncomfortable and figure out other areas that they might not be very good at in order to continue to grow. And I knew, you know, I had a lot of areas that I needed to get better at. So first thing I wanted to do is get with my video coordinators, who are some of the hardest working men in showbiz, and uh, ask them how to cut film, you know, how to trim it myself, and uh, how to find certain things that I wanted, and be able to start organizing those clips. So uh, it was it was very valuable for me, not only when I got the opportunity to work with the, the team as a whole and put a, a scouting report together, but obviously from
0: a player development standpoint as well. Well, it, it speaks to preparing for, you know, future possibilities and whatever may come your way. And uh, we ask players to do that. And certainly as coaches, the best ones do that constantly as well as you try and grow and, and learn. So, Coach, it's a great segue into what this Podcast is going to focus on, and that's player development at the NBA level and all the lessons that we can extrapolate to other levels as well. But it's been clear that Charlotte's had a player development focus from the get go with uh, Coach Barango coming in there. So, can you talk about what that looks like at the NBA level, having a player development focused organization wide philosophy?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, again, player development is something that has taken shape over the years, right? It was a term that wasn't widely used. When I started, it was it was called training and different things. And I feel like player development guys and, and people that can relate to players and get the best out of them are getting opportunities to become head coaches. So I definitely feel like it's a term that, that has grown within the NBA, that has been valued in the NBA. There's definitely guys that, that are being looked at and ladies that are being looked at across the world to come in and, and do player development, coming from the college ranks as well as from the, the private sector like myself. And a lot of times the player development is looked at as uh, something that you're doing for a young team, an up and coming team a lot of times, right? Uh, usually a guy who's very strong or a lady who's very strong in player development is getting those jobs with, with teams that have a good young core. And so, you know, I think it's something that, Again, with all players, I think you saw with Kenny Atkinson when when he was in Atlanta working with a guy like Al Horford who'd already been successful in the league and and helping him improve, you know, guys improving their shots later on in their careers like Brooke Lopez. There's a lot of guys out there that have gotten better, you know, with with time and, and, you know, I guess in their their veteran type years. Uh, So I think development now is looking at the totality of the game and, and how that translates over from the individual aspect where guys are getting better with their skills they're getting better with their, their their decision making. You know their ability to carry that over to the games and seeing how that translates to a role, how that translates to the system that that the team is is imparting. So, um, you know, player development is is now encompassing so much more. You know, especially with, you know, what you have with with load management, what you have with analytics, and 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 guys you know, internally being able to feed your information and then being able to tie that in also with strength and conditioning and some of the other components. So I feel like player development is the bridge to everything that's going on within an NBA program.
0: Well, I think one of the important conversations that we need to have with you and other people at the NBA level is because you have these resources, you can help the rest of us better understand how we can assess whether our player development is working. Ultimately, transfer to game is the most important thing. But yeah. in lieu of that, what are some things that you do to be able to assess whether player development is working?
1: Yeah, I mean, we do it on a basis, obviously, from a team basis, we're, we're tracking things throughout the year. And, um, you know, so the stuff that we're working on in our vitamins and in our workouts, you know, we, we have to make sure when we're doing individuals, that that's tying into some of the stuff that we're going to end up seeing within the group format, and then from a group format how that's translating to, to the overall team. So for us, we do track things throughout the season, you know, to make sure that what we have in our system is is being done. And we're, we're grading some of those things as well, you know, things on the defensive side, like transition defense, uh, what we call stick hands, closeouts, you know, all those things are being marked and graded. And those are things that we're going to have to As well, if they're not being done, be able to incorporate that into into some of our sessions, you know, and and be able to make it so that we're talking to the the players, not only about the effort required for some of these things, and we're also talking about the technique We're we're talking about the the whens and the whys. And so, um, you know, for us, we do, I think, a really good job of making sure that we keep talking to the players throughout the season about what's going on game by game you know, we're tracking things, you know, quarterly as well, you know, being able to see, you know, where players are successful, whether it's in finishing or passing rates, uh, turnovers, uh, things of that nature, so that we have some of those components. And then we're also tracking some of the subjective stuff, you know, from a standpoint of leadership, things like, you know, being on time and communicating, communication skills. And so, again, player development encompasses the all around player, but also the person. And so some guys, or, or different with their personalities. And you have to just be able to figure out how to get, engage with them more so that you can get more out of them in, in different areas. But uh, for us, you know, it's, it's constant, you know, whether it's the player specifically working with the coach, it's, you know, our staff meetings, you know, talking with Coach Borrego about what we need, you know, from certain players and, and what he's seeing because ultimately he's the one that's deciding the playing time. And then being able to transfer that and communicate it properly to the players that we're working with.
0: I look at it, In this way, and I want to get your thoughts on these three areas, player development is player led, that means the player on their own, getting better, it can be coach led, which is the coach one on one working with the player. And then it can also fall, as you already mentioned, within team development. So player development within the team. Can you talk about first player led development? Do you create expectations for players? Or do most players come in with an understanding of how to train and how to get those extra reps that they need on their own? Or is that something you help shape for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, each each player is going to be different. I feel like nowadays uh, a lot of players are already coming in with uh, player development trainers or, or, or coaches that they've worked with already. So they're used to that individual attention uh, coming up the pipeline, especially from, from the United States you know, I've had a chance to work with guys that, that, that came over from Europe and a little bit different in terms of the style of, of teaching. But for the most part, guys get used to that individual type of training. So for us, it's it's a lot of figuring out who they are, you know, what motivates them, I think is a big thing that the psychological aspect is huge. So figure out, you know, what motivates them, what, what their goals are. Talk to them specifically first about what they think they need to work on. And I think that's important to hear that, hear it from their voices uh, sometimes what they give you, you can tell already is either they're uncomfortable telling you what they really feel like they need to work on and that just becomes a relationship thing. Other times they're just completely confused as to what they need to work on. So it's it's, it's good to have that conversation early. Uh, I always say I like to give players what they want early on. We have uh, good competitive fun workouts with the players. And then as we start to build a relationship, I, I give them what they need. And, um, I think it's important, you know, to really have that foundation with those guys. And then eventually if they say they want to be somebody or they want to do something in particular, and they're, they're the one saying, and then it's not coming from me, I can use that for them later on to motivate them, you know, when they're, they're when they're exhausted, or when they're bored with a certain process to remind them of, of what they told me, you know, right from the onset. So I think, uh, that, that's, that's a big part of, dealing with players at this level, especially, you know, with the money that's involved, you know, with the talent and, you know, the clout that a lot of these guys come in having um, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of different things that you have to deal with.
0: And a lot of that happens before and after practices or on their own in the facility, or again, with a coach rebounding or whatever that may be. So talk to us about the next level then where it's organized player development workouts. Are these happening one-on-one mostly? Are they in small groups how are those happening?
1: Yeah. So uh, for us, we, we have what we call vitamins. We, we take took it from uh, Chip England and uh, Chad Force here in San Antonio, the, the terminology. And, um, you know, we have our 20 minute individualized sessions before practice or after practice where players know they're going to work with their specific coach and they're going to get that, that timing. Within that framework, we also will change it up where we'll have small group sessions. You know, there'll be days where it's dictated that we're going to have multiple guys work together so that we can start working on some two man game combinations, um, you know, work on some three on O type stuff. So uh, we'll also incorporate that. And that's, that's more of a, a preseason, you know, lead up to the season, you know, the NBA season so long that there's stages to it, obviously with, with off days, you know, complete off days, game days, practice days. So, you know, we, we do a good job of making sure as the season's progressing that um, we're getting guys in still for their individuals, but also, you know, that becomes more maintenance for guys that are playing a lot of minutes. Um, for the other guys, we're making sure that we're getting after them. We're, we're, we're told already, you know, from from the people that we work with uh, in regards to what loads need to be addressed and how we can do that, you know, what full court drills we can, we can get after with these players. And then we all incorporate some of the drill and play situations before the games where we'll have – four to five guys that aren't playing that much and we'll have an opportunity to actually drill them and then go ahead and and play, you know, some organized pickup, you know, put them in different scenarios and and different uh, situations, whether it's against drop coverages, you know, we'll have, we'll have guys getting trapped at times and, and we'll mix up those scenarios. Sometimes we just let them free play. And then there's times where we bring that same group back and it's not a playing situation. It's more skill, team-based development where we're working on concepts and you know hitting the pocket making the extra pass you know working on our snap drives you know different things that we're trying to emphasize so that when they get into those situations where they have a chance to play whether it's in the g league or somebody unfortunately gets injured and they get a chance to play you know they're ready you know their rhythm and timing feels good i think that's that's a big aspect of, of what a lot of guys miss when they don't play so we make sure that uh those things are there. And then the terminology is continuing to be worked on. And then whatever teams that we're facing, you know, if there's certain things that we've been struggling as a team, if the players that aren't playing can get better in those areas, they can step right in and, and, you know, not miss a beat. So that's one of the main things that we try to focus on.
0: A lot of stuff there to unpack. And uh, let's first go to the third part, which is now how are you connecting those two things to team practice or team focused situations?
1: Yeah, so if we're talking about team practice, team focused, I think the one thing that that coach does a great job of is is allowing us even in warm ups to to have stations to be able to break down certain things that we may be seeing. Maybe there's something that's been trending, you know, negatively or something that we want or, or positively that we've liked that has been working really well for us that we'll have a chance within one of those stations to be able to address um you know for us finishing is something that we need to continue to get better at uh, because we do a really good job of getting in the paint we talk about you know our snap drives our boom drives and things like that and how to get to them so we have to do a better job of not only finishing but decision making when we get in there you know what it's what what is it going to look like for each player when they get in there what are their go-to finishes so there's things that we're addressing even individually in those situations for each guy so that we can we can chop it up for, for the players so that they know that we're still looking at what they're doing when they get in there. But the overall aspect of finishing is still something that everybody has to work on. So each guy's going to have some, some different things that they're going to be focusing on when they get into the paint. Um, you know. And then the aspect of the actual practice, we're going to look at the defense of what we need to be working on, whether it's closeouts or hurting us, because obviously if you're not closing out well, and you're allowing them to get middle. You know now you're in constant rotations, and that's one of the areas that we try to focus on. is like be able to get out there and, and know who you're guarding. You know, so being able to put them in scenarios where, you know, they're going up against a guy that's a, a great shooter. You know, now we flip it to a guy who's a lefty, and we start th- talking about those different scenarios, and our guys have to read and react to who that is. So we'll, a lot of times we'll utilize our whole video department. They'll, they'll choreograph all the scenarios so that our guys are working and they're being tested, you know, at all times. So it, it's constant. We're, we're, every every morning we're, we're talking about what areas can we continue to focus on, what areas can we continue to develop, and what areas of improvement um, do we need to attack right away, you know, because you only have so much time. Uh, there, there were times where we were playing every other day uh, for a whole month. That, that happened twice this season. And so it's very difficult when you start getting into games seven and eight, playing every other day, and also you're including travel within that to, you know, harp on too much in that workout. Obviously, you need to make sure that it's very, very defined to something that you're seeing specific for the team. And then we can address potentially, you know, some things that we've been struggling against. Maybe it's, it's again, it's against teams that were very aggressive, and we had to do a better job of you know, hitting the pocket, or when our guy was was going to cut, and the timing of that cut. Uh, if our big was popping, you know, making sure that our guys were cutting on that pop, and, and what that would what that would look like after. So, um, it's constant communication between our staff and and what we're seeing and then also potentially what's going to be ahead you know sometimes you get a a string of two or three teams that are similar in the way they approach the game defensively or offensively so it enables you to start attacking a couple of things early on if if you're looking at that
0: hey coach just a brief interruption of the podcast to hear from one of our supporters there is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag the sports world is slow making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play, and Bet Online has the best odds lines for their upcoming games and matches. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devote gamblers to check out. Bet Online also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. Good stuff. Good insights there. And I'm curious, as you were saying that, in and beyond, say, isolated skills training or, say, new teaching, which you wouldn't deal with as much, but what's your ideal situation for player development? Is it one-on-one with a player or a small group setting?
1: Yeah, I, and personally, I, I like it, again, it's, it's seasonally for me, I, I enjoy the one on one setting. Because I feel at that point in time, when you sweat together, you know, you're, you're able to um, just build that relationship and that bond, you know, the, the player themselves can that they can feel a little bit more comfortable to make mistakes. So, you know, I love what Kareem said, sweat binds more than glue. And uh, I truly believe in that. And I always use the term, make it ugly. And uh, it's basically, don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think when guys get to higher levels, they want to look like they're perfect at all times. And uh, the workouts that we design is for these guys to be able to think and drill so that they can think and play better. We want them to make mistakes going really hard because obviously if, if they're, they're not making mistakes, either we're not challenging them or they're not working hard enough and neither one is, is, is acceptable. So we want to make sure that in that one-on-one setting, they feel comfortable making mistakes that they're, they're tuning into some of the aspects of the game that we want. And then when we get them into the group setting, you know, it's now it's time to start applying some of those sets and, and and testing it out against real competition. And so I like, I like the, the hybrid format and I like being able to go one-on-one after the season, you know, to be able to just address certain things and have that player open up, to me personally, or to another coach personally, um, which you don't always get when you have a group of five to six players in there, you know, they'll tend, some, some guys will just lock in and, you know, not, not say a whole lot. Other guys are okay with, with who they are and they're comfortable. And that's great, but everybody's in a different stage of their career or everybody's got a different personality. So I think it's important to be able to tap into that one-on-one really be able to give guys, um, some some good aspects of what they need to work on. And then when you get into game scenarios with small-sided games or you start talking about some of the things that we do in practice, now you can start addressing that guy on the side and say, hey, remember when we worked on this? So I think for us, it usually – it'll start to – grow in its scope as we get closer to the season and we'll, we'll start having more guys on court obviously we're restricted with what we can do you know in the offseason and being able to bring the whole team together but it does help when you have multiple guys in there that are going to be playing minutes together being able to make those reads being able to have our video coordinators come in you know really jump the ball come in on the weak side and be able to read what those passes are going to be or what those decisions are going to be at the rim.
0: So what I really like that you said there, and I want to highlight and focus on, is you talked about the importance of players making mistakes. And I think that's something that we often misconstrue about player development is that we want to provide desirable difficulty, loads of challenge, because in that struggle is where they get better. What I want to know is how do you balance it with building comfort and confidence, which is also part of your job with these players is that they go into games confident.
1: Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And I, I think the making mistakes aspect of it is is always something that I tell them is, is an expectation. So if you do five crossovers where you're catching the ball and swinging it back and forth as, as fast as you can 10 times, you may lose it on number nine. Uh, the, the idea is to not lose it on number one. And so if, if we can get to the point where you're overloading your handles or, you know, working on those principles, then you get to the confidence aspect of it when it's just, I just have to do it one time. Now I don't have to do it 50 times or 40 times. It, it makes it that much easier. So I think, you know, being able to overload those things and, and having them understand that that's part of the process of getting better is the first step. Um, you know, the the confidence aspect of it will come by there being no false success. So, you know, if a player is able to get their shot off and make five for five but they keep showing you the ball when they when they're in their turnaround and you're not swiping the ball away from them, that's false success. And then they get into games and where you're really gonna see somebody's confidence lack is if they go into games and nothing's working. You know, so for us it's being able to allow them to make mistakes, allow them to say, Hey, I'd rather you get three great reps here, you know, where you can change your line, where the line is not always the same way and you're protecting the basketball and you're making shots, you know, if we can do that great. But if you have somebody going at 50% doing that and, uh, you know, there's no repercussions to making, you know, just small, you know, micro fraction of of a mistake or, you know, something that, that, you know, somebody with more length or or hand speed is going to be able to attack, then, um, you're doing them a disservice. So I think the confidence is built in in the way the training is designed, you know, the way they know, you know, they're, they're, they're putting me in, in pressure situations where I'm not supposed to be successful in all of these things. And then they know that once they start seeing those things uh, matriculate and get better and better over the course of time, that they're, they're going to be game ready. And that, that's the
0: most important aspect. Absolutely. Game ready being the most important part of it. And so we talked a little bit about assessment, but maybe digging in a little bit deeper with that, how are you helping a player understand that's what we worked on? That is something. So you notice it and now they notice it, and then you connect that workout with something happening for the player in the game. What are some things specifically that you do to connect that?
1: Yeah. So for me, it's, it's obviously it's film, you know, being able to break down the film, um, you know, analytics is something that you can utilize. We don't personally utilize it all the time, you know, cause you don't want to get guys just focusing on numbers all the time. Right. You can work on somebody's shooting form and see a lot of success in the way they're making shots and practice and, you know, they get into games uh, it's not always indicative of you know what, what work you put into their shooting technique. Sometimes it's the types of shots that they're getting. You know, It might be butter situations, late shot clock, where they have to get a shot off. Um, you know, maybe they're taking tough shots, so it's something that you have to be able to, to address with them specifically on what you're seeing, and you have to paint that full picture you know, by what you see. You know, it's not always just the analytics aspect. So I think being able to combine all that you know, to be able to give the full picture is important. Uh, for me personally, I've, I've, I've enjoyed mixing in what I do with the players. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, what, what we see in film, and, and I'll share that with them via their phone. You know, so I'll do stuff where I'll do a voiceover uh, through QuickTime, and I'll send that directly to their phone. I'll scrub it, clean it, and send it over to them so it's clean for them to see. Um, they'll They'll look at it, and then I'll have them come back to me and tell me what they saw. And then we can have that conversation, you know, and and over the course of time, if it's the same stuff happening over and over again, where maybe they're missing something or missing a read, or they're not finishing the right way, you know, sometimes there's something else that's happening, you know, that's affecting, you know, that that process. So, you know, for us to be able to visually see it for them to be able to, you know, verbally tell me, you know, what they're seeing is very, very important. So it's that collaboration back and forth that, that is necessary, you know, and then when we get into our, our vitamins and we do the individual stuff, you know, it'll be an opportunity to keep working on certain things. And if they're not able to, you know, finish the right way or make the right read, you know, consistently, then we know that's going to be a problem when it comes to, to game situations and, you know, against some of the elite players that are out there in the NBA. So, you know, for us, I think it's, it's being able to combine all of that stuff. I think a lot of it is having the players – be accountable, you know, for, for what they're doing and, and what they're seeing and, you know, see if they're, if they're confident in what they're doing. And then you can always compare that to either other players that are at their position that are playing the same amount of time. You know, I think that's one of the big aspects of the game It's like, yeah, well, I'm not playing that much, or I'm, I'm coming off the bench. So you can basically give them comps across the league, you know, with other players that are in their position. in, in different scenarios and say, okay, this is how you compare, you know, this is not something that's subjective. This is something that's real, you know, that, that you can um, you know, that, that you can look at and say, okay, I I can see where I can improve in that area as well. Um, Sometimes it's a matter of, you know, for a guy like Terry Rozier, he loves Dwayne Wade, you know, and and being able to pick apart some things that Dwayne Wade did well, that uh, I think that that can mirror some of the things that Terry can do, you know? And so, you know, being able to have, those aspects of the game are huge for us because that, that, that goes back to what we talked about, that relationship, understanding the player and, and just asking them questions. And they'll, they'll give you all the feedback that you need to be able to help them improve.
0: It, really cool to hear some of this. And the other thing that I got a chance to sit in recently, it was on a Zoom, but it was a basically it was 10 clips with a pro player and it was a coach taking it through. So I got to sit in on an NBA film session with a player. And what struck me at the end of it was that out of nine of the 10 clips, not one thing about specific technique or skill was mentioned. Every clip to help improve that player was about decisions. So what I'm curious about with you is, how do you connect the decisions for the player? Like whether it's in these one-on-one workouts or these group or these team workouts, what are you doing to help players understand decisions?
1: Yeah, a lot of that comes down to, again, what we're doing on court and what we're trying to get accomplished. Um obviously we're talking about rim free throw threes. Um but again if you're getting to the rim and you're taking a bad shot, then it doesn't help us, right? So like again, if, if you're taking a three where it's a step back and tested three, that's not going to help us necessarily. So it's understanding the value within the analytics. So you can have a, a great profile, shot profile where it says, hey, we do a lot at the rim, we do a lot, we get to the free throw line, which is great. We're shooting a lot of threes, but again, it's who's taking the threes, what types of threes are you getting? And so those are those are the areas that we we just try to focus in on with our players to let them know consistently. The messaging is, is very consistent from from coach to player, uh, from coach, from coach to coach. You know, we're all talking about different things. And then obviously the film is is you know the great equalizer. You can always see it on film, you know, be able to show guys exactly what you're talking about and then when you get into our situations and practice now we can put them in scenarios where you know we're working on you know five on five and we're you know one side is maybe more some video coordinators and everything's choreographed to the point where it's not choreographed on the other side you know we're just basically setting up our own dummy offense and having guys talk through their defensive assignments and then when we get to the other side and the step-up happens now we're playing live and so I think the more quality reps that our players can get in where they're seeing different scenarios, um, you know, they're able to understand, like, these are my reads, then it makes it a lot easier. You know, if they, if they have way too much to think about and they don't understand what their go-tos are, what their reads are, then it's going to be very hard for them to make quick decisions. You know, the, the more, the more they have in their head that they think they can do, you know, the, the longer it's going to take for them to process of decision. So yeah, a lot of it is streamlining what those decisions are going to be, you know, what their counters are going to be from a skill development standpoint. And, um, you know, from there, it makes it a lot easier for them to make those decisions. So I think it's being able to incorporate the film. It's being able to put them into the court situation. And then when you don't have the ability to have a group, it's how do you get them to think and drill? You know, what, what are some things you can do through cues, through, uh, you know uh, demonstrations um, you know for us it's sometimes it's calling out numbers or letters you know to get them to to get their mind working so that they're able to make the decision off of a one two or three an abc or basically you know through hand signals you know wherever where i put my hand out in front that means they're doing something specific or if i put my hand to the side so we have to be able to adjust you know depending on who we have on court, you know, how many guys we have on court, how much help we have. And, you know, that always changes. And I know it changes for people, you know, who have their own training businesses. It changes for for people who have different resources, you know, whether it's at different collegiate levels. And so uh, I think the ability to think and drill more, you know, will help people process things quicker. I always feel like decoding patterns, figuring out patterns and decoding patterns is, so important to being able to develop the whole brain so that when you get into these other other situations it makes it that much easier for you to decode what's happening in real life you know real game situations
0: so you said something interesting there and in connecting it back to you know again like all these things connect back whether' high school coach college coach uh, you know player development coach, whatever it may be one of the challenges for coaches is that ultimately part of our job success is that the player is happy but It's kind of counterintuitive to us trying to help them get better, right? And if I'm a player development coach and I run my own business, it's in my best interest to always have that player happy because they're more likely to be returning because they feel like they're obviously enjoying the experience, getting better, whatever it may be. Can you talk about that fine line and that balance that you have to go through between the player enjoying the workout, feeling satisfied, but at the same time, you're able to push them to help them get better?
1: yeah I think a little bit is 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 giving players what they want, especially in the off season you know we have a lot more time to work with them you know I think that's important to to give them a taste of what they feel like they want to work on because you want you want to re- be able to retain that player, whether you have your own business or you're in the nBA because obviously there's a lot of good basketball player development guys out there that run their own businesses that they can go to and work with and just do whatever they want at that point in time if if, if that's if that's how they see fit. Uh, so for us, it's a, a little bit of a combination of giving them what they want, but um, you know, a whole lot of once you know them as a player and you build that relationship, it, it becomes about trust. And the, the happiest player is going to be the, the more successful player. <laughs> the player that's not playing a lot is going to to be very unhappy, you know, especially if you're on a team that doesn't win a lot of games and you're not playing them. What does that say about your game or you know, what, what you've been doing? So you know, for me, a lot of it comes down to you know, them understanding, again, no false success We're going to be here. We're going to to have fun through the challenges. So a lot of it is changing the mindset of, you know, what fun is. And for me, you know, I always talk about fun is in the challenge. If you're not being challenged, then, you know, again, you're not going to get better. But boredom, right, if I showed you everything that you could already do or everything that you're already comfortable with, that would be a boring workout you know, that wouldn't be any fun, you know, at at least not to me. So, you know, those are conversations that I have with my players is that, uh, you know, if you're not, if you're not being challenged, you know, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do here. And then obviously, you know, think about how boring it would be if we did everything that you already were already good at. And so, you know, having those direct conversations very quickly, because you could see the frustration level grow with players, maybe, you know, who are working with a coach for the first time that can't do everything. And so I think you have to, just take it down a notch and, and let them know that all this is okay. You know, these are the expectations and, you know, if it's, if it's something that's not working come game time for you, you know, then we can, we can talk about it again. So it definitely is a collaboration, but um, you know, for me, you know, the happiness comes from what kind of success you're having on the court. And obviously at this level, it's, um, you know, translating to wins, it's translating to money, all those kinds of things that, that come with, you know, a guy being more successful.
0: Good stuff. And uh, you talked a little bit about um, players that don't play as much in terms of their pregame routine that they'll sometimes go through workouts and scenarios and play some live play. How about a player that plays a lot and their pregame workout? Is that something that they've developed or is that something that coaches can give input to in terms of their pregame individual workout?
1: Yeah, it it usually depends. Usually the veterans that have been around for a while, maybe nine, ten years, tend to have a a routine that they like to go through, and it's just something that uh, within 15 minutes they just feel like this is just going to get me in the right rhythm, you know, to get ready for the game, and that's completely understandable. Uh, A lot of the young guys, they don't have a routine, so they're they're really looking at us to develop something for them. Uh, I think where our staff does a really good job is making sure that uh, there's components of the routine that are always consistent, and then there's components of the routine that uh, may adjust It may be something that we watched on film that day of something that they struggled with the game before and we can just tap into three or four reps you know for them to to get a feel for what we were talking about on the court. Uh, there'll also be opportunities especially for the guards you know where we know what kind of coverage they're going to be seeing you know based on you know how they guarded a specific player. Um, you know, I know when we had Kemba, you know, we usually relied on how teams guarded Kyrie was how they were going to guard Kemba. So we would watch games leading up to that, you know, with that specific team and say, okay, this is what they did against Kyrie. Uh, they usually guard pick and roll this way. So be ready for this, but you know, this is something that they they changed and they, they went to plan B You know, quickly when Kyrie hit two threes and this is what you can expect. So we'll, we'll touch on some of those things. And then at that point in time, we'll work on, certain concepts that might be beneficial for them that night. So uh, that, that's the fun part about the whole process is that, you know, you, again, you're collaborating with the player. Again, I always check in with the, with my guys to make sure that they're, they're good with everything that's going on and see if there's anything that they want to focus on because, again, it may be just something that, I wasn't thinking about that. They say, Hey, I need, I need to do this. And it makes them feel good going to the game. And that's, that's what we want. We want them feeling positive about the experience that that they're going to the game with all cylinders firing. And, you know, if they're, if they're in that mind frame, you know, that, that helps all of us. So I think it's important to be able to to address that with them. And then, you know, a lot of times we'll just adjust game by game, you know, in in those ways where we know that certain aspects of our system are going to be implemented from our, our snap drives, or boom drives, our, our draw and kick scenarios, uh, shooting, obviously, and then you know being able to address some a couple of defensive things that, that they might be seeing that night and then what they're going to have to do defensively if they have a specific
0: matchup. Good stuff. Good stuff hearing that. And uh, you, you mentioned this about getting together with the player. So another question, and you've talked about the offseason, talking about the periodization of skill development, do you meet with players? Is it on a weekly basis to be able to check in with uh, what you need to improve or what they have done well with? Or is it, you know, obviously it's daily, you're touching and interacting with them. But how, when are these kind of uh, evaluations, assessments, and then future forecasting meetings happening?
1: Yeah, normally, we, you know, you give the guys a little bit of time off, they have the exit interview with coach and, and with management usually. Um, usually you just leave them alone, let them, let them breathe for a little bit. And then, you know, I'll start sending as well as our staff, we're working on on various projects where we'll start sending some stuff to them so that they can start to digest on their own. And then eventually when the time comes that we know we're going to get back in the gym together, you know, that's when we have the conversation and we'll address, you know, some aspects of like, here's, here's the end of season report. Uh, here are some areas, you know, offensively, defensively, um, you know, some some team concepts that we think we can get better at, and you know, this is why. You know, is there anything that you're you're seeing or you're feeling, you know, um, based on your position or or what you saw this season that you want to address? And it's a good good avenue to to just talk those things out, you know, and then at, at that point in time you know, we can address certain things with coach as well. And, you know, that's the best thing about it is that it's, it's collaborative, you know, and then I can address it with you know, our strength and conditioning staff, because there might be certain aspects of, you know, one leg might be, might be weaker than another. And we find that guys are, are tending to go more to a two footed finish when the one footed finish was there, you know, but they, they're just not exploding off the right leg. And so, you know, it becomes a very holistic approach and we have to address it with everybody. And you know, to this day, I, I make sure as well that I'm coordinating with who they're dealing with on the outside. So the times that they decide to go to L.A. or Miami or New York, you know, understanding who they're working with, who that trainer is, and uh, player development coach is, and then being able to talk to them about some of the things that we've been focusing on and working on as well. So I think it's good to have allies everywhere. I think uh, you know, it's naive to think that you know, our voice is the end all be all. And so being able to have allies out there that we can talk to and communicate to and say, Hey, we need this specifically from, from this player. This is coming directly from coach and, and this is going to be dictating more playing time. Um, If he can improve in this area, I think we we can see some, some strides in those areas. Uh, So I think it's, it's very good to be able to talk to that guy You know, have him come in. And then weekly we are touching base on, you know, what it is that we'll see, you know, next week. And so we'll, we'll, address at the beginning of the week, here's, here's the breakdown, here's some things that we're going to focus on. And then at the end of the week, just be able to address again, like great job this week. You know, we, we got to keep improving in this area. This area looks good already. We're going to keep strengthening that next week. We're going to add, you know, some variables to this, or next week we're going to add, you know, on Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to add another player. So we can start to, you know, basically work on some of the reads or some of the contact based, you know, things finishing at the rim and then go from there. So I think it's it's very valuable when you can have those conversations and those guys are on on par and on page with everything that you're talking about.
0: Hey coach, just a brief interruption of the podcast to hear from one of our supporters. There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slow making its way back with NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR and international soccer have all resumed play and BetOnline has the best odds lines for their upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devote gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Hey coach, just a brief interruption of our podcast to take time to tell you about one of our supporters, Manscaped.com. Ow, damn. Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Coaches, it's great to be able to share a product that I've used. I can confirm that Manscaped.com works. Men start taking notes because Manscaped accidents are finally a thing of the past. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 has been beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks tugs. This is their third generation trimmer featuring advanced skin safe technology so you keep your bad boys nice and smooth. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, and they spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to shave in the shower too. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Armchair, A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R, at manscape.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code armchair. Your balls will thank you. Now back to the podcast. So I guess the next area to go to in is for a player that isn't playing as much or isn't playing at all, what kind of progress is needed to realistically impact their playing time?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, it's it's obviously not an easy one when you have a rotation already set. Uh, so a lot of it is, you know, being able to have good conversations with those guys in, in terms of why it's important to stay ready, you know, that, that nothing negative comes out – nothing positive comes out of being negative. So, you know, we want to make sure that they stay positive, that they understand that the approach that we have is to get them ready to play. And so that that comes from the G League standpoint, uh, which I think, you know, we've done a much better job the last few years of, of really having guys go there and get live game reps. And, again, we go back to rhythm and timing. Uh, we had hired a two-way coach this year, uh, Nick Friedman, that would go spend time with our two-way guys there and be able to give us reports on what was going on and how they were doing. So we stayed in, in constant contact with our G League staff and make sure that the players that we had that were going to be called up You know, we're ready, you know, for whatever we were doing, you know, offensively and defensively. And then the guys that stuck around and maybe there were some veterans that weren't playing much. We made sure that we were actually playing. You know, we we had times where we actually played five on five. You know, we we incorporated. And that's why it's helpful for us to have guys that can not only cut film, but can play the game in the film room. And we'd have those guys come out and, and be a part of those games. You know, they knew the system. They knew what we were trying to run. And, um, you know, a lot of times we were to be able to incorporate certain aspects of maybe some new new ATOs that we wanted to try out, you know, so it was good for the coaches as well. Um, You know, we're incorporating some maybe some new plays that we that we already put in. And then we were able to also incorporate, you know, with those guys, you know, things that we've been working on individually and say, that this is a good opportunity for you to work on this now. You know, you're in the post, you know, here are your options out of the post and, you know, upward DHOs is something we've been focusing on or a split game you know, let's try to get to that. Or we want to emphasize our drive-kick swing, you know, so if we got a drive-kick swing, you know, we'd get four points for a drive-kick swing, three, you know, as opposed to just three points. So, you know, we were able to do certain things in there, and it was it was really, really good. And we saw that, especially in our first year, uh, we had guys that weren't getting a lot of minutes, uh, that were veteran-type players. You had uh, Biz MacBiambo, who wasn't playing at all early in, in the first season with us. Uh, who stayed with that program and continued to get better. And, and he saw the value in what we were trying to do because we wanted him to stay ready and engaged. And when he got his time, he was able to go full throttle and that gave the other guys that were still in that program that weren't playing an opportunity to say, okay, I, I see what happened. He was ready to go. And now he's capitalizing on that. We had the same thing happen uh, with Billy Hernan Gomez, you know, when he was sitting out for a long period of time, the guys that were in a G league in our first year, came back, Dwayne Bacon, um, Devontae Graham did a great job this year for us. It was Jalen McDaniels and Caleb Martin came from the G League after you know, pretty much the whole season. And our last you know month of the season, we were competing with everybody, winning some good games. Our last game of the season, we came back from 20 down at Miami and won that game, and, and those guys were playing major minutes. And so I think when you have a program where it's not just talk, where you can point to examples of guys doing the right thing, and you know when the opportunity came they seized it um it's it's motivating and it'll keep guys on the right track for for a longer period of time
0: like it and and with you then because obviously you develop a certain affinity even though you're obviously all in on the team we know that when you work with certain players you're invested in them a little bit more do you advocate for the player to the head coach in some way
1: yeah i think each guy gets a Builds a good, you know, a good relationship with each player that they work with continuously. So there there might be some things that uh, we know or we're hearing from that player specifically that might give some insight to the whole staff. And so, um, you know, and sometimes it might be a dynamic that we feel... Uh, we have to do something behind the scenes, you know, to, to, to separate one guy from another for, for one reason or another. Um, you know, maybe there's just a too much competitiveness going on, you know, and, and we can now attack it from different angles if we're talking about it openly. And, you know, there, there's been times where, you know, I think all the coaches have advocated for a specific player at one point in time, because we see the work that they were putting in. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to the attitude that that player portrays on a day in and day out basis. And so if somebody does have uh, a personality type that, you know, they're working hard, that, you know, they're guys enjoy being around them, that when they do get their moment, you know, that um, they'll fit in and they'll, they'll be able to do the job. And I think that's, that's where you're probably going to advocate for those types of guys more than, than other guys that you feel like are missing workouts or late. And uh, all those things are checked and, you know uh, you know, we have, you know, progress, uh, progress charts on all those types of things. So we want to make sure that, you know, the guys that we are advocating for, you know, we see them doing the right thing. And for us, I think as, as a staff, you know, it's guys are around everybody at all times. So everybody knows, you know, so a lot of times it's not, it's not anybody. I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary if, if I'm advocating for somebody, because I know there's one or two other coaches that have been in the gym at the same time and are seeing the same things. And so um, usually it's just an open conversation. Is it, is it the right time to get them in or is it going to mess up the rotation? You know, how is this going to work? Who's going to have to switch positions? And if we switch positions, is that guy going to get messed up in the offense? You know, so there's a lot of things that a lot of variables that are in play that, that you have to deal with. And and that's why it's important to to address those then, because then with the bright minds that we have, everybody's going to have some kind of opinion and then, you know, coach ultimately will make the decision.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, you brought up so many variables there, and I'm curious then when there's a conflict with the player in terms of their perceived ability relative to their role, Yeah, what are some of the best ways to be able to have those conversations back to the player then, to be able to have them understand the patience required and the continued development required, and not to obviously lose their belief that it's going to happen eventually?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, your experience as a coach and your experience in communicating, you know, with that player, you know, the belief that you have in them, uh, the joy that you find in working with them, and the basically the examples of other players that have been in that position, you know, players that they, they respect, players that are having a lot of success in the, in the league now. So being a mini-historian and trying to figure out, you know who those who those players are based on you know you know information that you're getting from them who they respect or what types of players they respect and then what players are actually out there that are all stars or you know guys that are you know doing well and, and having a good role for their team you know currently that are maybe in their second or third year that didn't have that same experience in their first year is valuable you know because they, they like to play the comparison game and a lot of times they're comparing themselves to maybe one or two other players that are finding really quick and early success that they felt like, hey, I was a McDonald's All-American too, or I was a top five pick. Why am I not in the same scenario? And so I think it's really important for them to see all the other examples of players over the course of time, you know, that had to continue to fight, continue to work for for what they wanted. And eventually, you know, that, that made them a better leader because they actually had to fight through something and, and they could relate to other players as they get got older. And be able to talk to them, and say, "Hey, I've been through that. I've been through, you know, a really rough season. You know, I, I bring back, bring it back to Kemba because you know he came in from UConn, winning a national title, to uh, statistically being on the on the worst team ever. You know, his first year in the NBA after that that lockout, um, and so that's a big adjustment to going from you know being the man." to winning a title to now being on one of the worst teams and trying to figure out is, you know, people are saying now you might be too small to play in this league and can you really lead a team at the NBA level? And so all of those types of things, I think will will lend themselves to young players that are, that are in the program as well as just examples of players on your own team that you could see within 20, 30 games, how their role has changed. And so I think it's really important to be able to have that, those conversations open and honest with those guys and, you know just say if we do these two or three things leading up to you know the next 10 or 15 games and you get your chance you know you're, you're going to be able to not only show the work that you've been putting in but you might actually get an opportunity to sneak in or crack into the lineup and so by just having that conversation I think it, it, it pays dividends in the long run.
0: Coach I, I've heard from multiple people that you're, you're pretty creative with your with your workout stuff. And it makes sense because you've done this for a long time in a lot of different settings. Can you talk a little bit about how you come up with the different types of drills or different types of things you do with players?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it for me early on, uh, just so happened that I was working with players that weren't very good. Uh, when I first started training, I started training in 1998 while I was still playing college basketball at Hofstra uh, playing for, for Jay Wright, who's a phenomenal coach. And so some of the terminology that we used there, I started using in some of the workouts that I had with players. And I realized that I needed to build a bigger, uh, a bigger base of, of, of words and terminology for the players, for them to understand the, the whens, the whys, and, and the how to do things. The, the explanations of things had to be a little bit more concise in, in a one-hour workout with somebody, especially a kid. Um, and at that point in time, most of the kids that were training, they had money. Uh, their parents understood what the value of training was. So they had either a pitching coach or they took tennis lessons. Uh, the players in New York um, that were really good, their mentality was like, why would I pay for training? I'm already nice. You know, like, I'm I'm, I'm good. Like, I, I, what, what, that doesn't even make sense that I would pay you to, to play basketball. And so at that point in time, there was really nobody in the New York area that was doing it on an individual basis that had put a program in place, had had terminology, had figured out you know, how do I get this kid to eliminate baby fat, you know, from his game? You know, when he's making an inside out move, he's making the move and then he's taking an exaggerated one, two step after that's getting him closer to the defender. And so for me, I wasn't a great athlete. So I had to figure out ways to eliminate the baby fat from my game and and be quicker with how I got my shot off. And a lot of that came from footwork. It came from placement. And so um, that's how a lot of it started for me. And then I would do certain drills with players and then eventually like a mad scientist, you start to see they, they do something wrong, but then it's a variation to a drill that you wanted to do. And I always try to figure out ways that I can get players to engage the mind more than just the physical activity. And that's I always talked about thinking and drilling was very important to me, you know, so that the the, the faster that they can decode some of the patterns that we we're doing, some of the partner drills we were doing uh, some of the re- reading situations in a one on O setting, it would help them be ahead of the game when they got with a coach You know, that maybe gave them a new philosophy or a new terminology or whatever the case may be, because they were already ingrained throughout the training to decode patterns, to be able to figure out ways to make it easier for themselves. And um, that's how a lot of it started for me. And once I got better players, um, they were already very talented in different areas. They just sometimes didn't know how they got to those areas uh, or they couldn't get to them enough. So we would start to address those needs And, you know, some of the stuff that I did in the past with my players, you know, going throughout with Evan Fournier or Tobias Harris and some of those guys, you know, we would work on some specific things where we would do some dribbling techniques and we'd be partnered up. And with that partner series, we would change the routine every five or six games once they got comfortable with that routine. And we'd see how fast they can get the routine. And, you know, a lot of it would come down to little uh, micro skills within the routine you know like they, they had to let the ball hang or if they saw that I messed up they, you know they'd have to slow down um you know we'd have to be able to figure out different things they'd have to t- have their fingertips down on the ground when we we're doing certain crossovers or they had to cross the midline when they were doing certain things so that they wouldn't get the ball stripped from them and so you know it's just all these little things that I try to look at um you know from player to player and obviously spending you know legitimately for me it was it was 10 to 12 hours straight a day uh, six times a week that I was doing that when it would hit from mid-April all the way till September um, with pre-draft training and, you know, kids coming in from, from school. And then in the summertime it was the pros that would come back. And so that's a lot of time, you know, just to be on the court. And eventually I would learn from my players, you know, I would learn from other trainers that were in the gym with me. And then, you know, I just tried to figure out what were the best ways to streamline the process to get that player better quicker. Um, you know, that, that, that was a learning process that I had to go through, years and years, you know, where it's like not necessarily a three ball dribbling drill is going to be as effective as if they can perfect it, maybe a two ball dribbling drill um, in a shorter amount of time, you know, does that equate to them being able to pick up the ball faster for from their crossover or their between the legs into a pull up, you know, so just playing around with heavy balls, um, you know, just, again, learning and, and talking to different experts and, and not only in the basketball realm, but, you know, being able to learn from, you know, mixed martial arts and Muay Thai, you know, learn, you know, from people who play tennis or soccer, you know, footwork wise, there's, there's a lot of different aspects that can be carried over. And I just tried to look at all those different things to see how I can help my players. And a lot of times when players come back to you, they come back better from college or from, uh, you know, from summer off or they were working with somebody. And so as they get better, you know, I always felt the need for myself to improve so that we can continue the process. And, you know, and, and when you have your own business, that's huge, right? You want to be able to keep people week in and week out, year in and year out. And uh, if you can do that, you know, it's because you've actually improved and you're able to keep challenging that player, you know, year after year.
0: Love it. Great, great, great insights and advice to uh, so many coaches in terms of their development. Nothing replaces experiential and nothing, nothing replaces trial and error. And uh, that's a huge part of this, isn't it? To develop as a coach.
1: Without a doubt. You know, again, you learn some things in terms of the way you communicate, you know, certain things or, you know, what, what certain guys are relating to, you know, in the player development realm for me, it's been really cool just to continue to progress and watch you know how other guys interact with players. you know what what how players learn is, is so important. you know are they visual learners? you know do they want to see it? Um, do they want to see the move first before I do it? you know Is it something that they, they need to see somebody an example of it? Um, you know some guys can just you know hear it and they go ahead and they do it. okay, we're gonna do a right left here and into a left left, right or whatever. And they, they can do that. You know, there's certain guys that have a hard time with the board when a coach draws up a play. And so if that's, that's a situation that I, I put myself in, you know, before where I look at how the coach is drawing up play. Some guys like to hold the board, you know, horizontally or vertically, you know, and then you see players switching the board when they're trying to get out of a timeout, cause they, they need to see it from a different angle. Uh, so, you know, we'll incorporate the way coach draws plays into some of our individual training sessions and we'll design some of the drills where we're drawing up, you know, the plays within that and they know what shots they have to get out of that play. You know, that way they can continuously see that. And then eventually we can figure out, all right, where, where's the disconnect here? You know, why are they having a problem, you know, seeing this and then, you know, we can address it with them right then and there throughout our player development workout. And then we can talk to coach and let them know like, Hey, you know, we're seeing that this, this, whatever this is, is, is a struggle for him and, and it's good information for the coach to have as well.
0: Tremendous coach, really, really good stuff. And uh, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time and sharing with us. And uh, you know, coaches, if you don't follow coach Jay, especially I think on Instagram is the main place where you do a great job sharing the game and providing insights at coach Jay Hernandez. He's on Twitter as well, but uh, definitely follow him and uh, you know, uh, you'll get some tremendous insight. So thank you for sharing the game with us. I
1: appreciate you having me on and uh, I love what you're doing You know, with, with all these podcasts and the information you share. So uh, thanks for, for helping me get better on a daily basis.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com slash newsletter.